Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Positively Trek is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Carl Morris. Visit patreon.com slash positivelytrek to help support the podcast. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, shout-outs, associate producer credits, and more. Thanks to all of you for your support. And now, let the show begin. Why wasn't I informed, Mr. Castillo? Captain, As senior officer, I want you to be my liaison to the Enterprise D. Coordinate with Tactical. That's me, Captain. Where do you think you're going? I'm resuming my duties, Doctor. Captain, you need at least another 24 hours. Nonsense. Doctors always overprotect their patients. And captains always push themselves too hard. Doctor, my ship and my crew need me now. 24 hours might as well be 24 years. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Positively Trek Book Club. I'm Dan Gunther, and with me, as always, is, of course, the amazing, the wonderful, the stupendous Bruce Gibson. Bruce, how are you doing today? You know, I don't know about these introductions. You know, you're always building me up, and then people listen, and then they're disappointed. (laughs) No, 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 no. Nobody could ever be disappointed in you, Bruce. Okay. You're amazing. You're fantastic. You're all those adjectives I just said. Okay. Thanks, Mom. Because that's who I feel like I'm talking to right now. <laughs> oh, well. Hmm. Maybe I'll stop complimenting you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my boy can't do anything wrong. Well, uh, yeah. Today we are talking about another Star Trek novel. Uh, Bruce's mom will not be taking part in the conversation. It's just going to be the two of us. That's too bad. <laughs> that would be fun. I think that would be interesting. But uh, yeah, we're talking about another novel of the Lost Era. This is Well of Souls by Ilsa J. Bick, and it's set in the year 2336. So yeah, we're making our way through this Lost Era And we're all the way up to uh, 43 years after Captain Kirk was presumed killed aboard the Enterprise B and 28 years before the launch of the Enterprise D in Encounter at Farpoint. So kind of right smack dab in the middle of that Lost Era there. And I have read some of these Lost Era novels before we started doing these episodes, but I've never read this one until now. I am in the same boat or on the same starship, I guess. I've never read this novel before either. I I guess going into this first, I want to talk a little bit about expectations about these novels. And, you know, we had the, uh, the previous novels aboard the Excelsior and the Enterprise B, and those were kind of original adventures not mentioned before. And then we had Keith DeCandido's Betreka Nebula incident where he's taking something that was mentioned in canon and expanding on it and for whatever reason I never like really looked at this novel before or looked into it before I see Captain Garrett on the front and I know it has to do with the Enterprise C I think I kind of in the back of my head always assumed that it would be about her battle with the Romulans and and the whole Narendra 3 incident as seen in or as mentioned I guess in 
uh, the TNG episode yesterday's Enterprise. But that is not at all what this book is about. And I don't know why I expected that, because most of these Lost Era novels have been original adventures. But I think it was Keith DeCandido's book just kind of set me up into thinking, oh, like historical things that they've talked about. This must be what this one's about. Yeah, I I was kind of leaning towards that, too, thinking we would see that and maybe even her backstory, you know, how she was mm-hmm. as a kid, how she got into Starfleet. I really thought it would be probably a Captain Garrett novel about her life, in a sense. But I really had no idea. I just, like you said, just seeing the cover, I just assumed that's probably what the book would be because we don't know that much about her. So what a perfect opportunity to write a book about Rachel Garrett and get to mm-hmm. really know this character. But as you said, that's not what this is, which is fine. It's just seeing her on the cover and not having a novel with her before. I just assumed that's what it was going to be. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. But, you know, as as we said, this does deal with the crew of the Enterprise C. You know, that ship and its crew, part of its crew, only two members really were seen in that one episode of TNG that we talked about. But uh, it was interesting to kind of see the ship in its prime because by the time we get to it in yesterday's Enterprise, it's, you know, half destroyed most of the crew is dead like i said we only see two crew members captain garrett and lieutenant castillo so it was interesting to see the ship kind of in its prime during the normal part of its service you know because i think we don't think of the enterprise c so much as that as you know just this ship that took part in this one big historical incident yeah and it's also again we get the ship but the ship doesn't feel like the star like i would have Again, think if we're going into a novel about the Enterprise C, we're going to get a lot about the C, a lot about its crew, a lot of things happening on the ship. But when I started off reading the novel, there really wasn't much of the ship. I mean, a lot of things that were going on in the first part of the book were not on the ship. They were other places. And I kept thinking, is this a book about the Enterprise C? It doesn't feel like it. But I mean, we start to get more of it as we go. But it just didn't feel like that was the setup. Yeah, no, it definitely starts out in a in a way I wasn't expecting. So we get kind of a number of different storylines going on. We see, you know, there's this excavation going on on this planet. There's kind of some shady thing about happening on the ship that's heading towards there. This guy named Halleck who's on this planet and his girlfriend meets up with him and we kind of later find out, oh, he's the first officer of the Enterprise and there's some kind of weird shady underworld dealings going on with like crime syndicates and archaeological digs and people seeking power and money. Very different, very different feel for Star Trek, which, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Star Trek can be many, many different things. It did take me a little bit of time to kind of get into this story and really get into that groove reading this. And I just thought about this as you're saying it. This novel feels like there's a there's been other Enterprise C novels, and this is just one of many. Because like you're saying, we're starting off with seeing the first officer who we don't know, and then we're already following him in his adventure on this planet. And it's like, oh, this is the first officer of the Enterprise C. And then we find out, oh, he's been fairly new to the sea. And But we're not introduced to him on the ship with the crew. Yeah, the novel feels a lot to me as if there's been several other Enterprise C novels, and this is just one of many. But the problem is it's just the only one. And maybe I shouldn't say the problem is... But going into it, 
my expectation was to, oh, we're going to be introduced. And it didn't feel like we were being introduced. That's not a bad thing. But to to your point, it really kind of felt weird for a Star Trek novel, the way it started off. And mm-hmm. I struggled through the first several chapters of this. The problem I had was this is a rare thing for me. I didn't want to read the rest. I just was almost like, I almost feel like putting this down, but I have to read it because of the podcast. But even if I wasn't doing a podcast, I'd probably still make myself read it. But I will say I got invested in it as we went along. So I was glad I continued it, but I was struggling. Yeah. And I hate to say this. I hate to agree with you on that, but me too. I was trying not to fault the novel for it because it's trying to do something. Like you said, that's a really good point that it feels like we're seeing like a story in the middle of the Enterprise C story. And there's a lot of references to events that have happened before. And we're kind of just dropped in the middle of it. I'm going to be jumping all over the place with my thoughts here. But one of the things that was jumping out to me reading this story is there's a lot of character story stuff happening for many different characters here, almost to the point where I kind of a few times had to flip back and say, wait, who is this again? Are they male or female? Like I I was misremembering basic things about some of these characters because they introduce so many people so quickly And also we get like five or six flashbacks to different events in people's lives and stuff. And I was like, okay, who is this one again? Oh, okay. She's the, she's the acting first officer. Who's the normally the whatever officer and she's been injured. Okay. That's that character. You know, I was kind of all over the place with it, with that, which again, I wasn't trying to fault the novel, but it did make it very hard to get into it and very hard to keep picking it up because I was, it was, it was a bit frustrating getting confused with some of the stuff that was going on. And then you mentioned about the flashbacks. I do remember at times going into a new chapter and then realizing after a while, wait, what's going on? Oh, I think this is a flashback. There was nothing Mm -hmm. indicating that it was, it would take me a moment to figure that out. But that was the biggest problem I had with the first several chapters is that everybody was complaining. Everybody was just (laughs) complaining, just being defensive and angry. It's like every character in every chapter in every situation, I was like, oh my gosh, is anybody here happy? That's what was turning me off. Even Captain Garrett just grumbling because she's dealing with her ex-husband and uh, and the ex-husband's like, oh, she's driving me crazy. And, you know, even her son on the other line, he's disappointed in his mother and she's disappointed that she's not seeing him. And and then the characters we had on the planet, like the first officer stuff, grumbling about being in this place. It's not safe. And he's arguing with his girlfriend and she shouldn't be there. And she's like, well, you left without telling me. I'm like, is everybody? just yelling at each other (laughs) i was like that's what was starting to get to me it was so negative yeah so i i wrote up a little blurb for kind of a lot of the characters that we see here and there's kind of a common element that threads through it all and i think it relates a lot to what you were saying here so let's start talking about some of these characters in the book before we really get into the plot of it 
Uh, but I will give a warning here for spoilers. So there are some plot points that we will be discussing that'll come up. So, you know, if you are not interested in hearing spoilers before you read the book, you may want to go read that. First of all, of course, Rachel Garrett, right? Captain of the Enterprise, recently ended her marriage with her ex-husband, Ven Kaldaren, who is a Betazoid. And they have one son from that marriage, Jace. Now, she's plagued with feelings of guilt for not being there for her son and also feels guilty because of the recent loss of her first officer, Nigel Holmes. And uh, we get, you know, the the kind of backstory when she's speaking with Ven over the comm link and with her son. We get kind of that filled in a little bit, what happened there and how those feelings are erupting. And then I feel like, if I remember right, fairly late in the novel, we get the flashback to what happened with the first officer. Like we kind of hear about it for most of the novel. And then we finally get to see in a flashback, like in the last quarter of the novel, what actually happened with the first officer and why she feels so guilty about it. So that was interesting. It's not where I expected the character to go, but it was interesting to get little pieces of her backstory anyway. It was, but you know, (laughs) again, the problem I had with this is we're starting off with these characters that we either a don't know or b we're not that familiar with Mm -hmm. and we're starting off on a negative with every single one of them there's no way that i liked any of them i didn't like garrett i mean as soon as i was reading her because even after she got off the comm link with her husband and her son she was still complaining she was still feeling down about this first officer she lost she doesn't like her new first officer she's not close to him like everything and then even when she i know i'm jumping around and stuff but like even when she goes meet with the doctor it started to be a little more normal because she has somewhat of a good relationship with the doctor but she was still complaining and with everybody complaining, I was just like, I can't like any of these characters because I don't know them and they're not likable. That was my problem. They're not likable. But that was my initial take when I started. I started to enjoy them more as we got through the story. But starting off, man, that that was just setting me off. Okay, that, I'm done. I'm getting off. I'm getting off the soapbox right now. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I was starting to think about why this was a little bit harder to read and and that sort of thing. And the thing is, we don't know these characters, like you said. We've never met any of them. There's not one familiar character in this novel with the exception of cameo appearance by Leonard McCoy. I think he's about it. Like, I don't... I can't think of a single other character that we've ever seen before. So thinking back to Keith DeCandido's novel... That was kind of an exercise of trying to get in as many characters as we've heard of to kind of give us a little bit of an anchor into this story that otherwise would be pretty unfamiliar territory. This one, I felt cast adrift because I was sharing this this story with a bunch of people that I don't know, which was a little bit frustrating for sure. And Like you said, it was kind of towards the halfway point of the novel that I was starting to connect with it more because I'd gotten to know some of these characters a bit more and connected with them a little bit. So, you know, it's kind of fighting an uphill battle here to win over the reader. And I don't think the way that the author has portrayed the characters and the way uh, the, the stories come together is doing any favors because like you say, it's very negative. It's there's a lot of high emotion here. It, it really tends towards that side of negativity, which is a bit unfortunate. 
Because if you go into a bookstore right now and just randomly pick a novel, you're not going to know the characters, right? Mm -hmm. It's all new to you. So it's not so much that we don't know the characters and it's, oh, well, then we can't get into it. It's just how you introduce the characters that we Mm -hmm. don't know. And it's fine if there's some conflict between some characters, but I needed more of a balance. You know, maybe there's two characters that are having some issues with each other, but then we go to another characters where there's a good relationship and there's a good conversation, but everything was so negative. Anyway, past that though, honestly though, I was never big fan of Garrett to begin with from yesterday's enterprise. She never really worked that well for me. She was okay. This novel just didn't even help her anymore. I still feel the same way about her. Hmm, That's funny because for me, I had always actually really liked Garrett and was very excited to see more with her because there's just there's something about her commanding presence in that episode that I really enjoyed like she's very decisive I like for example when Picard is telling her that like in the here and now one ship won't make a difference but 20 years ago one ship could have stopped this war before it started and there's a moment where she just kind of stops looks and turns around and says, Mr. Castillo, prepare to get underway. You know, I just, I always loved, I wanted to see more of that. And, yeah. uh, you know, we get a bit of it in this novel, but it definitely didn't go the direction I was, I was kind of hoping. Moving on to some of these other characters as well. We have Samir Al-Halak, who is the first officer, the newly appointed first officer to replace this Nigel Holmes. And he's kind of, I would say, the maybe not the point of view character for most of the novel, but kind of the subject of the novel a bit. Like the story mostly kind of centers around him. Uh, so he's born on Deneb 5 to a family who's involved in a couple of crime syndicates, one called the Katala and also the Orion, the Orion Crime Syndicate. His brother apparently forged documents for him, allowing him to enroll in Starfleet Academy and kind of get away from that life and stuff. Now, he feels extreme guilt over an incident that happens early in the novel, the death of his fellow officer and romantic partner, Anasar Batra. Uh, and we also get a whole bunch of stuff with his past, He was previously used by Starfleet intelligence to infiltrate the Orion Syndicate, something that he has to keep secret and classified. Previous mission was aboard the USS Barker, and it resulted in the death of two other officers, which also has him left with feelings of guilt and remorse. Uh, Although at the time he was cleared of any culpability in the matter. So you start to see a pattern forming here. This is like the ship of guilt. Right. Right. Everybody has some incident that they're feeling extreme guilt over. Exactly. And, you know, I'm saying the characters are complaining, but there's a lot of it also. There's this guilt. And again, it's all kind of negative. You know, that seems to be the theme of the of the book. Everybody's feeling guilty about something in their past, you Mm -hmm. know, or something that has just occurred. You know, there's all this guilt going on. There's all this suspicion going on. There's all misunderstandings going on. There's a lot of that kind of theme going throughout the book. However, to me, the story starts to get more and more interesting. As you're saying, the death of of Batra, there's the syndicate going on. And it's like, okay, what is all this? What is happening? And I'm starting to get intrigued as to what is all this going on? What, why are we in this situation? What is his background? Cause it's a mystery throughout the book, why he's even involved in all this. He's a first officer of a starship. Why is he on this planet 
dealing with like the Orion syndicate and this other crime syndicate and all these other things. And then he's got a past with them or something. I mean, there was all these clues and all these little questions that were coming up. And that's when I started to get a little more interested. Yeah. I was starting to get a little bit into it there as well. Uh, There's kind of a point later on where I really got into the story and it shocked me that it was a little bit past halfway through the novel where I was like, Oh, this story is getting started now. And I was like, wait, (laughs) we're halfway through the one thing also. So obviously everyone's carrying all this guilt and stuff, but the other thing I'm noticing is there's a lot of secrets. A lot of people are holding something back. They're keeping secrets, whether that's small or large or, you know, obviously Halak is into something, right? Like there's something going on. He's of course keeping the secret of his past because that makes him look bad and stuff. But you know, all this stuff is just kind of piling up. And what I'm finding reading this is, again, I'm just having trouble kind of keeping track of it all and saying like, okay, who's doing what, what's going on. It's just a bit much, you know? So I I don't think it's particularly badly written. I'm enjoying the, the like actual story and the events that are unfolding. It's just, it's very tightly packed with a lot of exposition and a lot of backstory that Again, I'm just kind of having trouble keeping track of. Yeah, and one thing I want to call out real quick is the beginning. Remember, there was a little foreword or preface in there that had the whole little like uh, tomb that the kid was in and the spirits and all that stuff. It's felt very much like we were going into a fantasy novel. Yeah, when Mm. I first started reading that, I'm like, this doesn't feel like Star Trek. This feels like I'm going into some mystic fantasy novel, which was kind of cool. Yeah, or like I, I was reminded of like the prologue of the film, The Mummy, the Brendan Fraser version, where they're telling the backstory, right? Anaxuna Moon was, you know, taken over by a spirit and blah, blah, blah. Like, it felt like that kind of epic, like you said, fantasy type thing. So, yeah, yeah it, was, it kind of felt like that a little bit, which I feel like was kind of the intention. It feels like an ancient Egyptian tomb mystery story kind of thing yeah but for a while it wasn't coming into play i kept thinking what does that have to do with anything (laughs) yeah and the thing is too like just because i had a bit of trouble getting into the novel at the beginning i read that part quite a while before i read most of the rest of the book so yeah i kind of even forgot that that was a little bit at the start and and didn't realize how it played in until much later in the story. Yeah, but it does play in later for sure. So another character that we kind of get a lot of backstory in initially is a character by the name of Daria Bat-Levy. And uh, so she was injured during an experiment with this new propulsion technology in an incident with her twin brother, Josh, and he was killed. She gets left with permanent scars. She's wearing a lot of like um, biosynthetic prosthetics and stuff uh, and also psychological scars and she carries with her a great deal of survivor's guilt because of what happened with her brother uh, when Halleck's gone he he's kind of off on this planet and then later he gets taken off the ship in a incident we'll get into uh, she's the acting first officer of the enterprise and a lot of her early interactions we see her talking with the ship's counselor Uh, Which is, you know, an interesting way to kind of get some backstory and and stuff with her. But again, you know, it's it's very guilt ridden. It's very I don't want to keep using the word negative, but, you know, she's not happy. She's not well adjusted right now. She's going through 
a very, you know, traumatic incident and stuff. So that's all coming into play here as well. It's funny how she's the acting first officer because Halleck is off planet, but then when he comes back, he's under investigation, whatever. There's some similarities. It was actually a little too close in story for me because he had a situation that in his past that involved like the destruction and the loss of crew members like on a shuttlecraft or some kind of ship. And hers is a similar thing with her brother where he dies fixing up a ship. You know, I was like, they were too similar to each other, you know? And it just, I, I, I wanted something different. I was like, is there's some parallel between these two that we have these people losing someone and they feel like it's their fault on the ship or something. It's like, I don't know why the choice was made to do that same type of story backstory for both of these characters. The thing is, I'm not disliking these stories. Like they're interesting and well-written. And I feel like if this were two separate novels focusing on each of these characters in a, in some sort of adventure going on, I'd be much more into it but it feels like it's just piling on like there's just own oh, this story with this person and this person has this going on in their backstory and then there's this going on as well because and yeah the parallels i hadn't really thought of but that's a really good point that they are very similar backstories as well it was kind of bothering me a little because i was like having a hard time like oh wait this one goes with this person this one goes with this one they're similar but a little different but, you know, I kept having to thank her brother, Bat Levy's brother. Like, that was a different thing. She started off complaining she's not happy and like everybody else is. Like I am. Like the way I'm being on this podcast, I just keep complaining. The one character in this that I actually really enjoyed as well, and, and I'm not disliking these characters, like I said, I'm enjoying the story. It's well written and stuff. But this counselor, Tyvan, who's an Elorian and survivor of the Lakul as seen in Generations, he's carrying around a lot of trauma from his experience as a refugee from the Borg as well. We don't get a ton of exploration into that, but we get a little bit of that when he is talking with Bat Levy, who has all these prosthetics that are enabling her to function after this horrible accident. And he keeps kind of getting reminded of the Borg a little bit, which I thought was interesting. The scenes with Bat Levy and him were nice because he's helping her through her trauma and trying to figure things out. And he was a counselor. He's got his trauma from his past life as a refugee, but I still liked him. He wasn't as heavy as the others is what I'm getting mm -hmm. at, you know, in, in the negativity realm. Now, there's another character, a Naxaran is the name of the species, named Gadok Glamour is how I'm, I'm guessing his name is uh, pronounced. He's the tactical of the officer of the Enterprise. I actually really enjoyed this guy. Uh, he had a, a deep interest in Earth idioms, and any time like, anything comes up, like, uh, I don't know, look what the cat dragged in, for example, or whatever, he'd ask, like, ooh, what's, what's that phrase? How does that go? Oh, the cat. The, what did the cat drag in? Whatever. Blah, blah. I don't think that's one of them, but just as an example. But uh, I, I actually really like that guy, and I think he might be just about the only one who's not harboring insane amounts of guilt. But, uh, <laughs> well, the doctor of the ship, the medical officer, I don't think that's was. true. Yeah. She's just grumpy. Like every doctor. Exactly. Yeah. She doesn't have a lot of guilt or trauma. She's just grumpy. But I think that's because it turns out Leonard McCoy is kind of her mentor too. So 
That yeah. makes sense. But then there was something like he kept hitting on her. Isn't he like 100 years old at this point? And she's like 50 or 60. She wasn't that old. Yeah, I think she was in her like 60s or something like that. Yeah. He, he was kind of getting creepy there for a moment. but and, <laughs> and she has a nickname for him. What was it? Mac or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, this Glamour. Or, I like this character because I like how he's trying to use those phrases and getting them wrong and people are correcting him. At this point, it was like, okay, we're getting more levity here. We're getting a little more fun with the characters. and And I was starting to enjoy it at that point for sure. Yeah, I like that, where we get more of just the interaction of the people aboard the ship in a little bit more of a casual setting. So the mess hall scene, for example, where they're all in the mess hall and we're getting all those different personalities play off each other. There's still some traumatic events going on and they're discussing that. So, you know, there's some heaviness to it, but there's also, like you say, a little bit of levity, a little bit more like, oh, this is a Starfleet crew. This is kind of more what we're used to. I did enjoy those parts a lot. And the Starfleet crew is also questioning why the captain really isn't that close to her first officer. They're seeing that, and they also don't feel like they're close to the first officer, the fairly new first officer, and they've heard things through Starfleet and through others that he may have caused the death of these former crew members when he was on a different ship, and they're wondering, why is he here? Can we trust him? Is he that good? The captain doesn't seem to really... I mean, they're questioning a lot of things about him, and so you get this feeling that the crew, in some ways, is tight, but when the two leaders of the crew aren't, then it affects the rest of the ship. And who do you trust? Who do you look to lead? And of course, it would be the captain. But why does the captain have a problem with the first officer? So this is kind of about the point in the story where this all starts coming out that that I'm getting invested. I'm really enjoying and, and more interested in the story. So Halak has gone to Farius Prime, this you know planet we've seen on Deep Space Nine that's riddled with crime and all this kind of stuff. His partner gets killed. And He's kind of under suspicion for that happening, as well as the kind of incident from his past is under closer scrutiny again and that kind of thing. And where I started getting really interested in the story is when it seems that Starfleet Intelligence wants to take him from the Enterprise for a hearing. The fact that the crew isn't completely behind him and the captain isn't even really behind him it's interesting because there's still that resistance to him being taken away. You know, there's still that like, oh, we're a crew. He's part of our crew. We can't just let him go without due process. But at the same time, there's enough suspicion there that they're probably wondering, like, maybe this is justified. And I was kind of curious to see an exploration of that. Like, where does that loyalty start to fall down when there's a sort of recent newcomer to your crew who maybe is still a little bit bit of an outsider? Is there still an in-group, out-group there kind of thing? What forces battle there? There's a little bit of exploration of that, which I appreciated. It didn't quite go far enough down that path that like, I was really curious to see if you know that would get really tested, but... Uh, they didn't really go that path, but I was still kind of intrigued with that little bit of exploration of that question. And there was the part, too, where you're saying, like, the captain, Captain Garrett, is suspicious of him, but she's also suspicious of Starfleet intelligence. Mm-hmm. You know? And even Starfleet Intel- intelligence was acting a little weird and didn't seem quite right. And we do get a reason later in the novel for that. 
which mm. I really appreciated because I was just like, is everybody off the rockers here or something? What's going on? His mystery was interesting to me because it felt as like he was okay with everything that was going on. Like he knew that he was secure in what he did and maybe what had happened in his past. Because I don't think we've ever mentioned that he felt guilt. He felt guilt from those officers he lost, but I think he knew that he wasn't necessarily the cause. Like, we find out more about that later. Yeah, his guilt mostly came from the death of Batra, I think. Right. was where most of his guilt came from. But yeah, there's definitely something weird with Starfleet intelligence. And yeah, we do find out later why he's seemingly okay with them taking him because he thinks because of the actions he took on this previous mission were classified orders from Starfleet intelligence that they know what I did and and what happened. So he's safe from being like under suspicion for that. That was just to get him off the ship. But of course the big twist, we find out that this isn't Starfleet intelligence. These are, agents of a crime syndicate who are like posing as Starfleet intelligence agents to get him off the ship. And I I did say there were no other familiar characters, but I I should say we do see Marta Batanides, who we met in the TNG episode Tapestry. She's a commander at this time and kind of a high up in Starfleet intelligence. And later in the novels, we see her as an admiral in charge of Starfleet intelligence at some point. Also, Having recently rewatched Star Trek Picard, I forgot she gets a shout out in one of the one of the last couple episodes of that show. I forgot about that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought his story was interesting at that point when the Starfleet intelligence being really not Starfleet intelligence. So now we knew who our bad guy was. Right. We knew who the baddies were in this. And it's all a sham syndicate crime people. And there's a Vulcan involved in it, too. So, yeah, it all ties into the secondary story that we're kind of following as well, which is this archaeological site on this planet where Rachel Garrett's ex-husband and her son are there with a couple other people and they're working for the Katala crime syndicate or they've been contracted because he's a telepath to make contact with this telepathic thing they think is under the ground there they think it's a portal or something to i don't that was a little weird to me i'm like okay they want a portal but like why do they want it they're gonna get rich but like is this just a portal that leads to cardassia like what what is this yeah we really didn't get much explanation about the portal yeah it seemed like a kind of total MacGuffin. we need something that will give these criminals some kind of motivation um a portal well explain more about that though like i don't get that but that was a little weird well because yeah in the prologue that we we're talking about earlier there's this mystic thing in a tomb i mean there's nothing mm-hmm. about a portal right so i was thinking that whatever they're going after is like some kind of treasure or some kind of information from the past that they can utilize or something there But then there's this portal, which gives it that mystic fantasy thing into like a sci-fi thing. Now there's a portal. I'm like, well, did the this race of beings from back then have a portal that they I I don't know. Yeah, I was a little confused on that. I I think that was a little bit lacking in explanation as to what was there. And there were a couple lines like even if there isn't this portal there, there's at least going to be all these riches. And like there's this Jevonite, which is very rare. So we can at least sell that. So you know, they're there for tomb raiding and plundering as well, I guess. But 
there's this other thing that they're really after that they need a telepath they think to activate i don't know why they how they knew that or what but that's okay <laughs> and the other thing which is just kind of a slight problem i had with the novel but i mean it's not the most egregious example of this in star trek by any stretch but wasn't it like a pretty big coincidence that it happened to be Rachel Garrett's husband and her son that were on this thing that ends up being where the Enterprise goes at the end because of the involvement of their first officer? Like, that seemed really coincidental. Yeah, it did. I thought the same thing. It's like, there should have been something better to tie those in together. I, You know, it just, yeah, it was too much of a coincidence. Okay. I, I was thinking maybe I missed something that did, but yeah. Okay. If you felt the same, that makes sense. Well, yeah, sure. because none of those stories were related to each other. You know, on the out, when we see her first officer and what he's going through and then what her husband is, those are totally separate. You know, there's nothing that connects those two together. Yeah. Other than the, the crime family happens to be involved in both, basically. Right. And why would the crime family be involved with her first officer and then her husband? There's no reason for that, you know? Yeah. It just so happens that they go... I mean, it'd be one thing if the crime family was involved somehow with the first officer, and because they were investigating the first officer or involved with him and know that he serves on the ship with this captain, and then they find out, well, this captain's husband is a Betazoid that they could utilize, and then it's like, okay, well, then that's why they went involved him, because the first officer connects to her, connects to him. But we didn't have any of that connection. It was all just a coincidence that, hey, the syndicate went after her husband and her first officer, and they didn't even realize there was a connection there. And so the these fake Starfleet intelligence people who are actually the criminals, so they're, they're, they get Halleck, and what they're going to use him for is to break into this tomb, I guess. I didn't really understand why they needed him for that. I felt like they needed more her ex-husband. Garrett's ex-husband to get into the tomb. Did they say they needed a Halleck for that? I felt almost as if that Halleck was just involved because he had some past experiences investigating them for Starfleet intelligence and he showed up again and they're just trying to get him out of the picture or something. But did okay. they need him? Well, because the people that took him weren't with the people that had Garrett's husband, right? right? Because... Right. That that was the Katala, and then the woman who t took Halleck was working for the Katala, but like had broken away and was trying to plunder this for herself. I don't know why they needed Halleck for that, but I yeah, I just I think it wasn't really fleshed out. But you know, it it kind of all comes together at the end. They do use him to like go into the the cavern there and and stuff but it just seemed a little weird that that was all coming together like that at the end but one character we haven't talked about though that i would like to talk just a little bit about as well is richard castillo who is an ensign at this time and the only other character we've met before in yesterday's enterprise the helmsman of the enterprise now he was involved with batra the woman who was killed at the beginning of the novel before halleck came aboard and and started a relationship with her and he carries a lot of resentment over the relationship and we find out towards the end of the novel that he is harboring a lot of guilt because he told Batra where Halleck had gone, and so Batra followed Halleck there. And, and so Castillo is the reason she knew where he was and why she went. 
basically because he was trying to sabotage the relationship. Like, oh, he's hiding something. He went here. Oh, okay, I'm going to follow him kind of thing. And he kind of blames himself for her death, basically. Yeah, because he sent her to find Halleck. He knew where Halleck was going on his shore leave or whatever. He was still friends with Batra. Even though they weren't dating anymore, he was still close with her. And she revealed to him that she wanted to break up with Halleck. And he wanted that to happen. And not only did he want it to happen, he wanted it to happen soon. So he could have his chance of maybe getting her back. So he's like, oh, by the way, he went on his little vacation to this planet. You may want to go and visit with him. And then hopefully you break with him then, come back and we can start over again. And so it was for his selfish reasons. That's why he felt guilt, because it was a selfish reason to tell her where Halleck went, because he couldn't wait for her to break up with him. And he keeps this quiet, of course, during the whole hearing into what's going on with Halleck and all this stuff, which leads to more guilt, I think, and he kind of comes clean to Halleck at the end. Another layer of, of guilt and remorse and, and bad feelings. <laughs> Just kind of one last little bit right at the end there. It was interesting that so many times the story goes down that path of the characters. Well, because then when we're at the end of the book, they're heading to basically a celebration party for Halleck because he's all been cleared of everything and all this stuff. And Castillo decides that's the opportunity to confess in the turbo lift on the way to the celebration. <laughs> and I'm like, mm -hmm. the timing of this is a little off. Like, maybe you should wait till the next day or earlier in the day. But hey, let's go to the party. And oh, by the way, it's my fault she died. And this is why, because she was coming to break up with you. I mean, it's not just the fact that he's revealing that he sent her, which resulted in her death, but she was going there to break up with you, dude. This this woman that you love that just died, by the way, she didn't want you. So let's go party. <laughs> like, I thought it was <laughs> well, we can't have something fun and good in this novel. We've got to put some negative frosting on it, right? <laughs> I know. But, but Alec was pretty cool about it. He's just like, well, yeah, you know, okay. I, you know, it's, I get what, why you did what you did. I, I get it. But hey, don't feel bad about it. You know, it just happened. It was almost like that. <laughs> like, A little okay. bit. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's one thing is like everything wraps up pretty neatly at the end. And, and Halleck is reinstated as the first officer and everyone celebrates. A bunch of people talk about their guilt and things are all good now. So, you know, it did feel like it wrapped up a little bit neatly based on like how much was going on in the book, it felt like, okay, everything's good now at the end, which, you know, I guess a lot of Star Trek stories end that way, but it felt like there's just so much going on that it had to like all be wrapped up nice and neatly. So one thing I want to ask is how do we feel about how this story was put together? Cause when I'm reading this, like until everything comes together at the end, there seems to be like several competing plots that, don't have a lot to do with each other and then in a really convoluted way kind of all come together at the end and then coupled in with the multiple flashbacks and even multiple versions of the same flashback a few times as bits and pieces of the story are kind of meted out to us and we kind of put it all together did you think feel like there was too much here i was cool with it i actually liked it 
I, I mean, I can see it's a little too much, but I, I did enjoy that. And I loved seeing how things started to come together. I, I really wish Garrett's ex-husband and Halleck wasn't so much a coincidence as much, but everything else seemed to play out. There was a lot more of those aha moments of, oh, okay, now I see where this is. Oh, now this leads to this and this is connected to that. It's like I'm starting to see all the pieces start to form and, and put the puzzle together. And so I enjoyed it. it. It didn't feel like it was all that much for me. No, yeah. I suppose I just I guess I feel like some of those plots that don't still didn't have anything to do with the main story just felt like a bit too much. So like all of Bat Levy's story, we get kind of a whole character arc for her. And, you know, she overcomes a lot of it by the end, which is, you know, a nice story. Like I enjoyed that story but it didn't feel like it really connected to all the other stuff that was going on in the novel. And just with like all of the trauma of the characters that were part of the main plot, it seemed like let's add another character with a whole bunch of trauma into this story a little bit. I just personally, I feel like it could have benefited from a bit of a tighter focus on one or two of the plots rather than all of these ones some of which don't really connect yeah i remember towards the end thinking about bat levy it was like we really were focusing on her quite a bit at the beginning and she didn't really tie into all the rest of the story you know the rest of Mm -hmm. the plot i mean she then got command of the ship at some point and she built her confidence so She's like this underlying little thread of just going from not feeling good about herself, not accepting how she looks, not having confidence to then building her confidence, realizing that she's good about who she is and and ridding her guilt of what happened. But yeah, it doesn't necessarily apply to the plot of the story, but I was okay with that. Well, the final thing I wanted to talk about was a little bit of kind of the theme of the story. For me, like there's there's a bunch of things going on, but I really liked that everything kind of connected to the importance of truth. At least that's how it felt to me. You know, Halleck is keeping secrets for various reasons. There's some things that are classified that he can't talk about, but, you know, his guilt over what happened with the two officers he comes clean to his captain at the end of the episode and says what actually happened and that he was kind of covering for this other officer who had betrayed starfleet halleck himself himself hadn't but this other officer had betrayed starfleet and sold them out and didn't think it would go that badly and he ended up killing himself basically by removing his helmet when they were floating in space if that truth had come out sooner Halleck could have cleared his name, not with Starfleet intelligence, because that wasn't actually Starfleet intelligence, but with his fellow crew members and and with his captain and that kind of thing, which he does at the end. The other thing, of course, is Bat Levy confronting the truth about the incident in which her brother was killed and all of that. Even Captain Garrett kind of confronting the, the truth of what happened with her first officer and kind of ridding herself of that guilt. I thought it kind of was interesting that like a lot of these could have been solved with the truth coming out, if that makes sense. It really came across to me as not really understanding all the facts about situations and about people. And so there's sometimes misunderstanding. So yeah, I think it all relates, like you're saying, to truth. But I'm just thinking about the planet where the tombs are. They're expecting one thing, and it's not quite that. It's something a little different. They're expecting a portal. It's not there. 
Halleck is perceived as killing crew members. He didn't. No one really knows why Batra, how she knew where he was. I guess there's a lot of things in there where there's a lot of people who are perceiving things one way and not really understanding why they, what the real truth was behind certain things. So mm-hmm. it's, to, yeah, to your point, it's about not really being truthful about everything, but also how people have their own perceptions and misunderstandings about things because that truth has not been revealed. Yeah. And how kind of they use their own assumptions and prejudices to fill in those gaps a right. little bit. I mean, it's like Halleck going down the planet at the beginning of the book, you know, and, and Batra shows up and she's like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Why didn't you tell me? And his responses are, well, how did you know I was here? What are you doing here? <laughs> you know, everybody's mm-hmm. like questioning things. And, and he's looking for this, this older woman that he knows, but he doesn't know where she is and why she's there and what she's doing. There's all these questions. They're just like people are not informed. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably what I'm getting at is like, I don't think everybody's really informed of everything. It's not yeah. even just not being truthful. It's just like, no one seems to really know all the answers and they, they come to their own conclusions and that starts the rift between people. Yeah. And everybody's keeping their mouths shut and keeping their own counsel and, and, and not giving their real motivations for why they're doing things. Right. Like, I think Picard needs to talk to a few of these people and remind them that the first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth. That's right. <laughs> And he'll say, I'll show you what not to do. And he shows them an episode of Three's Company. And then (laughs) they understand that, oh, yeah, misunderstandings. And, you know, we need to be truthful before Mr. Furley comes in and kicks us out. (laughs) Absolutely. So how about uh, final thoughts and maybe a rating for uh, The Lost Era, Well of Souls? So, again, starting off, I was not happy. I was like, I'm not into these characters i'm not really into this oh my gosh like i i don't know if i want to even read the rest of this book but as i continued on i started to get more invested in it i was liking the storylines i liked how things started to connect i was getting more familiar with the characters but again i ne- even after finishing this book i'm not really a big fan of any of these characters it's not like i'd want to go and revisit them again so That's a negative, but I did enjoy the story. I started to get more interested as it went along and how the syndicate was involved and how different pieces connected. Um, And there was some action and adventure starting to happen in the mystery in the planet and the, the kids finding the cave or whatever, the where the tombs were and all that. I mean, there's some of that mystic, fantasy in there so there was a little mix of everything going on at one point so i was really enjoying it so as i was going through when i first started reading the book i was like uh two out of five and then i was like no maybe like two and a half out of five oh no maybe three so it was starting to go up as i went along so i'm gonna stick with three out of five masks that you do not want to put on because it's going to mess you up Absolutely. No, that's a that's a good summary. And I feel like I agree with a lot of what you said there. It took me quite a while to get into this book to the point where it was getting towards the end of the week and I had to finish it and I had to read a lot of it in those last few days. It wasn't until and I noted that it was like a little past halfway through the novel where my brain went, "Ooh, I like where this story's going now. This story's really getting started now. 
oh shoot wow the novel's more than half over to your point as well the characters i'm not that invested in i don't know that i'd want to pick up a, a halleck novel or you know learn more about the chief medical officer or anything like this like i'm not that invested in it so yeah i'm gonna have to unfortunately i'd say give it a solid 50 percent a five out of ten and and i'll give it five out of ten destroyed star systems that bat levy technically didn't fire on the cardassian ships she instead fired on the star which destroyed all of the cardassian ships so she's fine she didn't do anything wrong i guess that's right <laughs> which we that, didn't right. really talk about but that was interesting right well now we just did <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just came to mind to me. I think this book would really do much better. I think we would give it another great up to me if the characters were more likable. If we had more levity and the characters maybe weren't always, you know, complaining or feeling guilty, that, I really think we could have like knocked it up a little more. But it just occurred to me that when we watched season one, episode three of Discovery, I remember when Burnham is brought onto the discovery and how the crew was at first, not counting Tilly, but I was like, there's something weird about this crew and I'm not liking any of them because they mm -hmm. felt like they were up to something. They did not seem like nice people. You remember like that first feeling I had when I watched discovery, I was like, this is not a crew. I think I'm going to like, I'm a little concerned here. That's how this felt. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And uh, yeah, if the whole season of, of Discovery had been like this novel and they never got any better, I think I would have a very different opinion of Discovery. But yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, Bruce, what is next on the reading list for us on the Positively Trek Book Club? Oh my gosh, we have Shadows Have Offended. It's a TNG novel, brand new by Cassandra Rose Clark. And the next episode where we review this novel is going to be with the author. This is her first time writing a Star Trek novel. So I'm already more than halfway through it. And I can say that I am enjoying it. Excellent. I am so excited for that. New blood in the Star Trek literary universe. Always a lot of fun. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with her. But until then, and when we're not talking about Star Trek novels, where can you be found online? I'm on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. I just have to say. Hey, hey, Bruce, Bruce, how many followers do you have on Twitter? Okay. <laughs> Last I looked, I had 1,005. And here's the funny thing. I was looking the other day and I was like, oh, look at that. I've, I'm at nine, 996. And then it dropped the next day to 993. And I'm like, oh, man, we recorded that episode where I'm saying, like, oh, I can never break a 1,000. I'm always just hovering around the 990s somewhere. It keeps going up and down, up and down. And then all of a sudden, one day I open it up, and it's at 1,005. I'm like, how did that happen? Oh, this is the day that episode dropped. So all you people who listen <laughs> to me say, I can never break a 1,000. You came through for me. I'm at 1,005. Hopefully, I'll just kind of stay up you know, above a thousand. It's nice to have four digit numbers now on Twitter. So yeah, so I'm a Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And then also I'm occasionally been doing some stuff on literary tracks. And 
I mention often about Star Wars Report, but I'll just kind of break some news because it's already kind of floating out there. The podcast of Star Wars Report may be shutting down or doing less episodes. And that's not my decision. That's Riley Blanton because, you know, life changes and things happen. So anyway, we'll see how that how that plays out. But just so you know, I'm trying to convince him to do a few episodes here and there. I know him well enough to know that he if he says he's going to shut it down, it'll be short-lived, and all of a sudden he'll be back. Well, let's hope that's the case. Uh, in the meantime, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kertrats, K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on Treklet.com, my book review website, reviewing Treklet, as you can imagine, and on YouTube.com slash Productions. Thank you all so much for listening this week. We will see you again in our next flagship episode. But until then, as always, stay positive. Welcome, everyone, to another episode. <laughs> That's perfect. I love it. Oy. Man, okay. <sighs> Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of the Positively Trek. But what's the I quit. I quit. We're shutting the podcast down. It's done. No more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.